So, Rachel. Yeah? The crew rescues three Klingons from a damaged freighter in the neutral zone who question Worf's place on the Enterprise. But are the Klingons' intentions honorable? Hmm, interesting. They'll see it as a betrayal that he's had to assimilate and become human-like and is supporting the human agenda, I'm guessing. Hmm. Will Worf act Klingoner around them and feel shame? Hmm. Was it a trap? Hmm. Let's say one of the Klingons is his brother. Is this going to be like a Zoolander scene where his family are all coal miners and he's a model? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain, communication from Starfleet. They have recorded a disturbance in the neutral zone. Of what nature? Battle. Quadrant 9, coordinate 070, Mark 3. There is no information who is involved. They are asking if we can investigate. Answer affirmative. Mr. LaForge, lay in the course. Aye, sir. I have no reports of any Federation vessels in that area, sir. Ferengi? It's a little out of their territory. Shall we separate the saucer? Let's get a little more information first. Corset, Captain. Speed, warp 7. Aye, sir, warp 7. Engage. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey, watching these episodes for the very first time with my nerdy husband, Chris Lackey. Here he is. Hi. <laughs> I like Star Trek. <laughs> you always will. I can't think of a time in my life where I'm not going to like Star Trek. Came out to it, didn't you? Came out of the womb. Your dad was watching Oh, it. yeah, yeah. There was no way that I was not going to be into Star Trek. <laughs> so this episode is called Heart of Glory, and it is a Worf-centric episode. I think it's the first Worf-centric episode. And I approve of that. Yeah. I was just distracted thinking about your mom, how annoyed she'd be if your dad was watching Star Trek while she was giving birth to you, <laughs> her first child. <laughs> I was trying to think, how do you do her accent? Uh, uh, Steve, stop watching Star Trek and put the washing on. Wow. I don't know what. <laughs> Who was that? She was from Brooklyn and then some other stuff. You did say Warsh. Warshing. That's the only. Yeah. Warshing. That's the only Southern Iowa accent thing that, that you've got there. Yeah, that's bad. This episode was written by Maurice Hurley based on an unproduced TNG episode called Once a Klingon by Herbert J. Wright and DC Fontana. Mm. This particular episode was directed by Rob Bowman. So as you heard there, we're heading to the neutral zone. Riker is thinking of the children with his saucer separation suggestion, but Picard's fine with dragging everyone into the neutral zone. The whole idea of this separating saucer section thing kind of gets forgotten about mm. after the first oh, season. does it? I mean, they do it eventually, maybe once or twice, but generally, I mean, they're bringing it up almost like every other episode here. <laughs> and then they just kind of go, eh, it's a, it's a pain in the butt. And it kind of doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you just leave them adrift in space. No, it has a separate bridge. I guess it has its own warp drive because the warp nacelles are on the lower section of the ship. So does the saucer section have a warp drive? Hmm. Why are they all together anyway? Well, anytime you do anything dangerous, I would think, why don't you just leave the saucer section? Yeah, unless it's really expensive to detach and reattach or something just more dangerous. pain in the butt? I don't know. I don't know. They find a Telerian freighter damaged in battle and adrift. Data scans and speculates that the weapons used might have been Romulan. Hmm. Oh. Picard perks up at this and I can see him thinking, a Shakespeare off? Well, I haven't seen the Romulans yet, next gen. Oh. So that would be... Uh, a big deal. Hope that sexy Romulan commander comes back. 
Oh, no. No? No, she doesn't. Oh. Worf detects signs of life, so Riker takes Data and LaForge to the Batris. Which That's is the, the freighter. The name of the freighter. LaForge is excited to test out his visual acuity transmitter, which sends his visor images back to the view screen of the Enterprise. Mm. But it only has a very short range of a few kilometers. You had thoughts on their boots. <laughs> they just seem very impractical. Yeah. They're kind of high-heeled well, and flat. High-heeled and flat. Well, I mean, as in like slick. They don't look like they have any texture to them. And I would think if you're going to have boots of any kind, you'd want some good tread on them. Yeah. And not just a layer of stretched jersey between your testicles and yeah. oblivion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever creatures are down there. Yeah, it just it just stood out to me. I guess the shot was kind of low and you got a good look at their boots. And I was thinking, wow, those don't seem very practical to me. No, it's the little things, isn't it? It is the little things. The away team beams over and finds the ship in ruins. Debris and belching vapors everywhere. Detorium gas. Oh. Get the guy under the pipe out and leave the guy in the corner. <laughs> and then you'll complete your psych test. <laughs> Surely it's the same <laughs> set up uh, as last week. It looks it looks similar. Picard is fascinated by what he sees through LaForge's visor. <laughs> Flashing blurry colors and shapes, trippy and confusing, mm. very out there, psychedelic, I would even say. <laughs> Picard asks how Jordy is able to filter out all this weird stuff, and LaForge compares it to listening to one person in a noisy room. Which is easier for some than others. Yeah, you struggle, I, don't you? I can't do that very well, yeah. It's... I would not do well with Jordy's visor. Tricky for people on the spectrum as well. Oh, is it? Yeah, well, just sensory input. Really oh. overwhelming. Can be. Uh, Picard has trouble identifying Riker and Data. They do look off. Well, yes. The scenes showing Riker and Data through the visual acuity transmitter were filmed with photo doubles. <laughs> of Frank. Oh, uh, it looked like a wig. Sp- That's sloppy. There was Richard uh, Sarstad and Ken Gildon. And I guess they just wanted it to feel different. Yeah, okay. I guess. Yeah. I think it's kind of pointless. Just... <laughs> oh, it's probably cheaper. It's probably cheaper. I mean, yeah, back in these days, they still were shooting everything on film. It, stuff wasn't digital yet. So mm. I'm sure it was harder to do visual effects that looked interesting and trippy. You know, I've got Final Cut 10, which is an editing program. I've been watching tutorials on how to do really interesting things. And it's insane now the stuff I can do on my home computer. Oh, you did that thing where you threw a jumper on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of the Zach King wow. wacky things. How long that take you? It's just a couple of minutes. What? Yeah. A couple of minutes? Yeah. That's ridiculous. I mean, it was, took longer to film it than it did to actually edit it. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's nothing. Wow. I have to try and appreciate the fact that a lot of the stuff that they're doing is either like post-film stuff or actual in-camera. Yeah. Was what they got to do, so. Well, yeah. You They've know. got some pretty good special effects by now, though, haven't they? Oh, yeah. Look at the motion picture. True, but those budgets were, you know through the roof this wow. is a weekly television 45 show. effing million dollars yeah. i'll tell you what it's better than visual effects wise mm-hmm. just remember the spinning newspaper effect and the uh <laughs> negative repeated oh there. no it's the alternative factor oh my god yeah it's better than the alternative low factor. bar i know well, this is a bit of picard just really being into this whole visor thing just fanboying on it picard keeps asking LaForge, like, how do you figure all this stuff out? This is amazing. He just, for some reason, in the middle of a mission, he wants to do this interview with them. <laughs> well, Picard does love his tech. I Remember think... him in the holodeck? I do, of course. Look over at Data. There's an aura around him. Well, of course, he's an android. But you say that as if you think that's what we all see. Don't you? Sir, I hate to break this up, but... um. Oh, yes. Um, 
Of course, number one. Um, proceed. <laughs> Riker has definitely turned a corner. <laughs> As our patron, Commander David Wetzel, said in his comment, the less Roddenberry is involved, the less creepy Riker is. I think we're getting there now. It's true. Man, oh, we had a good belly laugh. Because we, we were all was... thinking it. <laughs> Can we wrap this up maybe and get on with a vital mission here? I just like Riker just going, oh, come on. <laughs> now, they move carefully down a corridor and LaForge spots a fissure in the bulkhead. It's impossible to be exact, but he guesses they have around five minutes or fewer. <laughs> That's until... exact enough for me, Jody. <laughs> <laughs> until the hull breaches, which will, of course, damage the whole engineering section, if not completely destroy the ship. Oh, okay. The bridge loses transmission from the visor. Data picks up that there are survivors on the far side of the engine core and investigates alone to protect the others. Oh, he's tough. Like, he can yeah. do that. Uh, just something that you asked when we were watching it, but they do mention it, is that why don't they just beam those guys out of there? Yeah. And it was because the engine was creating interference and they couldn't not only get communications through, but they also couldn't do transporters. Cause story. Well, yeah. yeah. Interference, <laughs> radiation. Yeah. You know, whatever the things are that cause problems. As long as they're consistent with it, I don't mind that stuff. Yeah. It's always when they just throw something out that I'm like, come on. Ah. The door to the compartment is jammed. Data pulls it open and they do a good job of making him look super strong and chivalrous. Mm. Inside are three Klingons. One's lying down being tended to by the others. They're in full shoulder pads, leggings, spiky boots gear like the guy we met at the convention. Data offers to carry the injured one, but... Captain Chorus insists on doing it himself. They escape as the ship's superstructure begins to collapse. Yar is ready to transport them, but needs them to be further away from engineering, and they don't seem to have time. The Batras is seconds away from exploding. Picard yells, just do it, beam them in. And so she beams them in, but then... Oh, it's so tense. Oh, oh, it's not really, because after a bit of back and forth, they're obviously going to be fine. Yes. And they arrive on the little stage. Yar did something. Yay. The survivors are brought to sick bay, where Picard and Worf meet them. Bev says the injured Klingon is in critical condition. The others introduce themselves as Commander Chorus and Lieutenant Conmel. This was Vaughn Armstrong's first appearance on Star Trek playing Captain Chorus. He played 12 other roles in various Star Trek series. Ooh, that's what makeup does for you, I guess. Yeah, he's very uh, distinct. He's got a real look about him that makes him, I think, good for aliens. Like his jaw is mm. kind of strange or his mouth's a little different. I mean, not in a unnatural way just he's distinct you're not saying he's a freak he's you're not just a saying freak, he's no. interesting looking yeah he's got a very interesting look and he's a good actor yeah, I think that's why at... they keep bringing him back yeah they claim they were being transported on the freighter when the ferengi attacked them Worf says the weapons used to attack them looked klingon they say they took control at the freighter captain's request and destroyed the cruiser attacking them picard is suspicious as to why they were on the freighter in the first place mm. Worf joins them for a ribbing in their quarters. <laughs> they get some tea and animal legs from the replicator. Now, this is where we first find out Worf's backstory. He is the only Klingon in Starfleet, or at least he says that he's aware of. Mm -hmm. He was rescued at Kittimer as a child. What's when it, Kittimer? Yeah, Kittimer is a, I don't know if it's a city or a building. It's oh. a place. It's on a planet. But apparently in this episode, they refer to their home planet as Kling, but they changed that later to... Kronos oh. or whatever it is. Kronos. Kronos, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that. Because it sounded too silly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, Kittimer was attacked by Romulans, and he was rescued by some Starfleet people when he was a really young child and fostered by humans. He then went to the academy with his foster brother, but his foster brother didn't like it, and he quit. But Worf was like, nope, I'm staying. Must have been easier to pass back then, or more than one place available, so oh. even <laughs> someone who didn't want to be there could get in. <laughs> 
Yeah, we eventually see uh, Worf's foster brother. He shows up on the show. Thought they might pick up that opportunity yeah. since he's in 5,000 episodes. We also find out that Worf has hardly spent any time with Klingons. They That's say, interesting. I'm surprised about that. Yeah, it's a really interesting aspect to his character that we find out more about later is because he was Klingon on Earth that he gets super into Klingons and he studies everything. Um. So he like knows way more about Klingons than most Klingons. And oh. he's got this really distorted view of what Klingon culture is like about. And oh. kind of observing it from the outside, yet feeling the feelings as yeah. well. Yeah, it's really, he's a really interesting character. And they, they start to scratch on that stuff with this. And here's a clip from our friend Rage Smacky talking about Worf. And that Klingon's so tame. He makes Piano Cat look like a Kazinti. <laughs> he is though, isn't he? I'm surprised none of them used that sick burn. <laughs> yeah. Because those Klingons, they really were digging into him. Maybe Piano Cat got lost in the, the annals of time by then. <laughs> uh, they say that Worf has become soft living among docile humans, but they admit that they were only trying to anger him to see if it was possible, if he still had that fire in his belly. And mm. he says, oh yeah, I still got that yeah, fire. Yeah, he's feeling it. They are called to sickbay where Kunivis is dying. Chorus opens Kunivis's eyes and looks into them. And then as he dies, they all look up to the sky and howl and scream at the ceiling. Mm. One shot is slightly silly, but they more or less get away with it. And that's difficult to do, isn't it? I thought they kept it serious, kept it from being ridiculous. Yeah. It's quite honorable, actually. I didn't think it was silly. I'm in it. Yeah, of course. I just buy it. Yeah. Crusher says, funeral? They say, uh, add him to your shell collection. We've done the eye thing. <laughs> it's just an empty shell. Just get rid of him, put him down the chute. Yeah. Which I get. Yeah. Yeah, to a certain extent. They've done a very quick, intense grieving process, I guess, and they're ready to move on. Yeah, I guess so. It was interesting because Worf joined in on the screaming. Almost instinctually. Yeah. Huh. Which I thought was interesting because he doesn't know this guy. He just ne well, never yeah. met him. He just did the whole, the whole screaming thing. Chorus and Komal continue with Worf, telling him that he was shunned and misunderstood all of his life. Even now, he is driven by something within. You don't know him. God. <laughs> but Worf does feel something. He has these really strong primal emotions, but he controls them. Mm -hmm. He keeps them under, under wraps, which is kind of like Spock. Yeah, absolutely. You see it a lot where he, he wants to do things and you can tell it's his primal fighting instinct. Mm -hmm. And then Picard will go, nope. And he'll go, yes, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> he does a lot of asking permission to go and hang out with the Klingons in this episode. He, he's by the rules guy. Yeah. Course says that the peace treaty was like a living death for them. So they commandeered a freighter to find somewhere where they could live as warriors. Mm. The ship that destroyed was actually not Ferengi. It was a Klingon cruiser. Mm. Worf is appalled by this, but then quickly gets distracted by a request for a tour of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is quite silly story-wise. Yeah. I, it's one of those things where I think maybe from a story standpoint, Worf is, this is like the first time with Klingon. So he's really connecting to them like on an emotional level. And so his, maybe his rational mind isn't as keen as it should be. Hmm. Okay. I'm, yeah. Because he's know. so curious. And he also suspects and thinks that he'll be the one who could help. Because he's probably feeling a kinship to these guys, like a very primal draw to them that he hasn't felt with anybody. If he hasn't spent any time yeah. with Klingons. So in his mind, he's very forgiving. He wants things to work out. 
between mm. them, I think. I don't maybe I'm just justifying all the bad writing, but oh. <laughs> I, I think it works. It works for me. Yeah. And if there's anyone out there who's had experience of being adopted into a different ethnicity or culture and then getting to know people of your birth parents culture, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear from you because that's something of what they're trying to touch on here, isn't it? Yeah. On the bridge, Data says this was the first time outsiders had witnessed the Klingon death ritual. The first time? That yeah. can't be right. It seems odd to me, but I guess they're still pretty segregated, the Klingons and the Federation. Huh. Yeah, but they've had loads of fights before, haven't they? Well, yeah, fights, but they don't... They've done it from their ships and they're not seen... I, I can't. So they don't do it in the middle of a fight. They wait until after the fights are over. So either the Federation guys are dead or they've run away. But don't you have to look into their eyes as they're dying and then howl? I think it's one of those, if it's a matter of saving your life, or mm. <laughs> you, just, you let that go well, and you can howl later. Well, that's human rules, isn't it? We don't yeah. know how the honor system works. The howling is a warning to the afterlife that a Klingon warrior is about to arrive. To tell them to be scared or tell them to prepare to honor them, do you think? Beware, maybe? I don't know. Hmm. Be ready to honor them? Get the rose petals out. <laughs> he detects a ship approaching. Meanwhile, in engineering, Conmel fantasizes about the battles they could wage in command of the Enterprise. Oh, no, you don't. Whoa. Instead of reporting this, Worf continues to talk to them, saying their desire for battles and glory is old-fashioned. I wish Worf had a better haircut. They look so badass compared to him, it's uh, yeah. hard for him to have the status that he mm-hmm. that he should have. Yeah, yeah. His hair changes uh, throughout the series. Yeah, that's good. The approaching ship is a Klingon Katinga class cruiser. Commander Kanira answers Picard and reveals the truth about the three Klingons. He wants them delivered to him to be executed. Mm. Yard leads a security team to arrest the Klingons. She looks very nervous frequently in this episode. She's quite unlike her, really. Well, I think they're trying to convey that Klingon warriors are really tough and yeah. that if they're going to fight them, it's going to be messy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's what is what's going on here. And she's got no experience of it. But she would have, though, wouldn't she? She's a high level expert yeah. in security. I don't But has she mm. fought Klingons before? Surely that'd be part of the training, wouldn't it? Well, At maybe least. holographic Klingons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They find them in a corridor talking with Worf about the ship's saucer separation capabilities. The Klingons appeal to Worf for help, saying that he is one of them. And then a, a turbo lift opens and a child comes out and Chorus picks her up. The little girl's totally unfazed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if a stranger picked up one of my kids, they would wig out. Oh, yeah. Let alone a freaking Klingon dude. Absolutely. So they might have prepared the little actress too much. (laughs) I'm not sure. But Yar calls in a hostage situation. Chorus hands the little girl to Worf, who gives her back to her mum. Don't know why he has to cut out the middleman. Yeah, just give her back to the mum. Maybe it was a challenge to see what Worf would do. Oh, yeah, it could have been, yeah. Worf says, Klingons don't take hostages. That's a cowardly thing to do. They do like picking up random kids to scare women, though. Yeah. They don't take hostages until they do. <clears throat> See Star Trek 3. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think they have a honor system. That's what's interesting about Klingons and about any alien culture that you develop on a TV show is like they have a morality and a, a rule system in their culture, but that is just an ideal. Hmm. Like most people don't in our culture don't adhere to the ideals that we set up for ourselves. You know, people cheat and lie and steal and do all those things and get away with as much as they can. Most people don't adhere? Well, yeah, I would say most. Most people break a law. Like, I go faster than I should on the speed limit, you know? like Not intentionally. You're very careful. Well, Don't want to advocate for this, guys. No, I'm not. I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> that people will, you know... A little bit Yeah, there's a, here and there. Not the big ones, though. Most so people. The idea that they don't take hostages... 
Unless it's convenient. Unless it's convenient. And there's for nothing them. else to do. Yeah. And I think that maybe in the old series, Klingons were even more devious. I don't remember. I, don't, I have to go back and look at how they're treated in the original series because they're given a lot more nobility and honor in Next Gen than they are in the old series. Hmm. Worf then asks permission to speak with Kinnear, the Klingon commander. What is it you want? To plead. You waste your time. Their actions threaten the Alliance. They disobeyed and must be punished. Yes, they must be punished, but not executed with dishonor. Why do you care? What burns in their eyes fires my soul. I hear their words, and I see it all as it was. Part of me longs for that time. It's bred in the bone. We all do. Then send them to a planet in the Holly system, where they can meet death on their feet, with a weapon in their hands, not tied and helpless. When one of us dies that way, it diminishes us all. Yes. Hmm. So when one of them's executed, it diminishes all of them because they haven't died honorably? Yeah. Wolf's obviously got some empathy for these guys. And he's trying to find an alternative. Well, it seems that the captain also has some empathy for these guys, that he understands that they have these feelings of, of wanting to hunt and bite and mm. be primal, and that the captain of the Klingon cruiser expresses that he understands it. However, yeah. that the ultimate good is keeping this peace treaty and not doing crappy stuff like that. So, you know, he's listening. Yeah, but rules are rules, Wolf. It's not like Starfleet. <laughs> Oh, man. Maybe. Oh. <laughs> I'll spare you a rerun of the Prime Directive song. <laughs> but here's the Klingon song instead. <laughs> it's blood wine lust enough to begin on. They'll say it's wrong, but still I long to cling on, cling on to my cling on. and Conmel are put into the brig with a force field and guards outside. Three mistakes here, yeah. Don't put two Klingons in together. Mm. They're manipulative and conniving. Two, frisk them yeah. or scan them at least yeah. before you put them in there on their own. Uh-huh. And three, get your guards to watch them. Yeah. <laughs> Not just stand in the corridor <laughs> texting people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, it's pretty slapdash job that's going on there. So obviously the two Klingons have a little heist by assembling a disruptor from their belts and bits hidden in the spike of their boots, etc. Yeah. They're able to disable the force field with some little device and then they kill security guard Ramos. The second guard phasers Conmel three times before he dies. Is stun not strong enough for Klingons then? Well, I think the stun setting, I think you have to hit him a couple times, Klingons, because I think they're kind of physically tough. Yeah. Why don't they stun him three times instead of killing him? Uh, maybe he trick. tried to stun him a couple times, then he switched it to kill. Giving him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe. I don't know. Or it was set to kill. I don't know. These are good questions mm. and I don't have answers. Then Chorus kills the guard and runs to engineering, heading to the second level around the core. He points his disruptor at the dilithium crystal chamber and says that he will only talk to Worf. Will that fire at it yeah. like a phaser? It's the Klingon form of a phaser. Disruptors work in a different way than a phaser does. Oh. Whereas disruptors are really painful. 
Oh. And they mess up your nervous system. And they, they're supposedly terrible weapons and they're oh. outlawed by the Federation. Got it. But yes, it will destroy the warp core, which would destroy the entire ship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, hostage. Hostage who? <laughs> the ship. Everybody. He's like, I get what I want or I'm oh. going to kill everyone. <laughs> yeah. That's so cowardly. Yeah, that's not a Klingon move. Don't allow willy-nilly access to that room then. If it's possible that someone can go in there and destroy the ship. Yeah, like I've worked in offices that have better security than <laughs> yes. the Enterprise, you know? Yeah, I mean the store cupboard with a few pencils. That's locked. Yeah. Are you kidding me right now? Yeah, nowadays it's those little lanyard yeah. scan things that yeah, you go in. come on. Come on. At least make him go to the receptionist and ask for the key that's stuck to the drawer with a bit of blue tack. But from a story standpoint, he could have <laughs> said, grabbed one of those engineers, yeah. grab their lanyard if they had a lanyard, and then use well, that to yeah, get Well, yeah, cut the head off. Oh, geez. Bring the head with the lanyard oh around God. it. Why, jeez. So Klingon. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Worf goes up to talk to Corey. I have tasted your heart. You have been with them, but you are still of us. Do not deny the challenge of your destiny. Get off your knees and soar. Open your eyes and let the dream take flight. My brother, it is you who does not see. You look for battles in the wrong place. The true test of a warrior is not without. It is within. Here, here is where we meet the challenge. It is the weaknesses in here a warrior must overcome. No. You have talked of glory and of conquest and legends we will write. Yes, the birthright of every Klingon. Yet all you say, where are the words duty, honor, loyalty, without which a warrior is nothing? What are you saying? Living among these humans has sucked the Klingon heart out of you. Put down the phaser. You are a sham. My words were dust upon the ground. Your blood has no fire. You are weak like them. I don't care what you look like. You are no Klingon. Perhaps not. And then what? Freaking blast him. Ooh, wow. Okay, this chorus guy is both really creepy and really cheesy. That first bit that we heard there, I have tasted your heart. Yeah. Get off your knees and soar. Open your eyes and let the dream take flight. <laughs> <laughs> what a credit to the actor that he actually pulls off those lines. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think anything of it. I was like, well, you know, Klingons are very poetic yes, people. They got a lot of right. passion. Yeah. Worf is making the distinction there between glory and conquest and duty, honour and loyalty. Mm. That was an interesting distinction and the Klingon didn't seem to realise he wasn't doing all of those. Mm -hmm. Worf's had plenty of the latter, the duty, honour and loyalty in Picard's gang, so he's not going to be manipulated. When he points his phaser at Chorus, I'm not sure why Chorus doesn't just shoot him as he goes for his phaser. Didn't think he had it in him, and I didn't honestly think he was going to do it either. He just freaking blasts him. <laughs> yeah, he thought he was a better manipulator than he was, I guess. Yeah. But Worf's able to distract him enough that he points his weapon away from the chamber for a second, which is when Worf blasts him with his phaser. Well, this is pretty dramatic. When yeah. he gets nailed, he falls forward and breaks through the glass floor yeah. from the second level down to the level below it, and then Worf comes down and he does the death ritual for Chorus. Not so tame now, is he? Rage smacky and <laughs> cling on, guys. <laughs> True. Worf and Picard tell Kanera that the fugitives are dead and they died well. Hmm. Kanera tries to headhunt Worf, 
He's yeah. like, hey, you know, when you're done with your tour, why don't you come on over with us? And Wolf yeah. goes, thank you for that offer. <laughs> the stern investigator from last week will have your spot in a heartbeat, Wolf, <laughs> if you want to go. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. And as they uh, shut off the screen, everybody is just staring at Worf like, what? <laughs> He's going to leave us for the Klingons? Like, everybody is just staring at him. And then he turns and gives a little look over his shoulder and he says this. I was just being polite, sir. Ah, commendable, Lieutenant. Mr. LaForge, set course for Starbase 84. Aye, sir. Really, I have no desire to leave the Enterprise. Good. Coordinates set in, Captain. Speed, warp five. Aye, sir, warp five. Now, Mr. Wolf, the bridge wouldn't be the same without you. Uh, Wolf comes off as <laughs> complex character, you know, honorable. But the button, as usual, is just a little bit cheesy, yeah, isn't it? It is. So a little Dorn bio. He studied production before pursuing a career in music. Mm, uh, got, oh, have we got any? Anyone out there got any thoughts on that? Have you heard any of it? I haven't. It's funny how many of these guys are musicians, because I know Brent Spiner has got an album or two. They all just want a bit of love in some way, don't they? A bit of validation. <laughs> Get to show off. Uh, during The Next Generation, Dorn was a member of The Sunspots, along with co-stars Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, and LeVar Burton. They appeared as background vocalists for It's a Sin to Tell a Lie on Brent Spiner's 1991 album, Old Yellow Eyes is Back. Oh, man. And here's a clip. Oh, man. I love you. Yes, I do. I love you. If you break my heart, I'll die. So be sure that it's true when you say I love you. It's a sin to tell a lie. What a strange name, the Sunspots. I don't care. Because they were old guys or something. Well, Sunspots are those dark spots on the sun. Oh, right. I thought they were also like those, you know, big freckles on oh, older people's hands. I think hands. they are. I think they're both yeah. things. I think that's what they were referring that, to. So it's clever, isn't it, really? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Dawn owns and flies fighter jets and is a vegan. Oh, I didn't realize that. One thing very Klingon, the other not. Yeah. Dawn's favorite episodes of TNG are The Drumhead and The Offspring. Remember mm. those? Uh, the Offspring. Yeah, he, he likes that one. I'm curious about that. All right. Mm. He was in Chips from 1979 to 82 and Days of Our Lives, 86 to 7. Loads oh. of other credits as well, oh, wow. of course. But I would only have heard of him as I am Weasel on the Cartoon Network show Cow and Chicken. <laughs> he used to like that. <laughs> Uh, he likes TOS, and he said he grew up with those guys. Sounds like he went a bit method for the audition, <laughs> talking and smiling to no one in the waiting area or in casting. As we know, he appeared in a record five Star Trek movies, Woo. 272 television episodes, and seven video games. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> Dawn is one of the many Star Trek performers to lend his voice to the popular Disney series Gargoyles. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of that? Oh, yeah. It came out in the 90s, and I remember when it came out, it was one of those shows that was for kids, but 
adults could appreciate it. There was a lot of good drama and interesting character stuff that happened in there. Yeah. In fact, the majority of TNG's regular cast did voice work on this show, with Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis doing two of the central characters. Yep. Bonus content idea at some point, maybe. Oh, yeah. They're all available on Disney Plus now, so we can go back and watch them. Yeah. In 2009, Dawn guest starred as himself on Family Guy in the episode Not All Dogs Go to Heaven, where Stewie uses a transporter to spend a day with Dawn, Patrick Stewart, Marina Sirtis, Gates McFadden, LeBar Burton, Will Wheaton, Denise Crosby, Jonathan yeah. Frakes, and Brett Spiner. Yeah, Another bonus content, maybe? Yeah, you've seen that one. I haven't? Oh, have you I? have. Will Wheaton. Oh, I remember him saying Will Wheaton, but yeah, <laughs> I don't sounds... remember anything else about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Probably didn't click with you at all because no. you, you had no idea about Star Trek. So mm -hmm. you're just like, whatever. He's saying it funny and that's <laughs> and that's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I thought of it. So there we go. Another bonus content, maybe. Let's get into concepts. What's a Klingon concepts? Michael Dawn said about this episode, even that one, I must admit, was just information. They were explaining where he came from, why he was there and whether he was loyal. And that was it. You didn't really see the complexity of Worf. That's from Star Trek, the original fan club magazine. I gotta disagree. There was a lot of exposition. There was. I think it was really insightful to yeah. who Worf was and Sorry, what he's I about. No, I'm a lot better now. Yeah, for sure. But I want to talk about the effing Klingons killing some security officers <laughs> and everybody's just kind of like, eh, oh well. <laughs> like those mother effers, they freaking murdered some guys because they didn't feel free enough. Mm. Like, oh, oh, I want to uh, be free by Klingon heart. I'm going to murder some guys. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to go to my fighting planet. <laughs> so I'm going to kill some dudes. And then blow everybody else up if they oh don't let God, me. Yeah. What did he want? I felt like he was being a way more empathetic than I would have been. But he did just murder the guy. Well, he didn't stop Wolf him. killed him, yeah. Yeah. So I guess yeah. maybe he's been a bit tough about it. Seemed but a bit much, actually. There wasn't much morning of those two security guys nobody no as usual a, yeah no one cares do they cares. just used as raw material for the replicator or whatever <laughs> whatever they do with people and did they die a good death well they were fighting yeah if you were fighting for a good cause i could yeah. understand that being an honorable death but if you're just fighting because you're a whiny baby then <laughs> yeah. go and take up boxing for goodness sake <laughs> <laughs> But all this stuff is completely subjective. The whole idea of honor is not mm. something that you can quantify. It's something that's perceived by yourself and by others. And what yeah. constitutes as honorable is up for debate. Yeah. And how many horrendous dishonorable things are you going to do to enforce honor, exactly. for example? So the Klingons were unhappy being at peace. We consider it civilized to have peace, a justice system, compromise, avoiding violence and death. But defense and attack are part of our neurobiology and a function of adrenaline and testosterone, mm -hmm. I guess. So it's in there, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Or not to the extent that it is with the Klingons, but sure. the Vulcans used to have it. They civilized yeah. themselves out of it. Mm -hmm. Some people, humans, still have that urge and it can be brought on or intensified by alcohol or other substances, for example. Sure, yeah, yeah. Or to sort of physically discharge. And I was also thinking about fighting as a class-defying way to feel powerful or to excel, whether it's in a sport context sure. or whether it's just attacking a f or trying to get into a street fight with somebody. You're no longer the underdog or the one who doesn't get lifted up by the privilege of a system. You're sure, yeah. equal or better. Yeah. So we've got the Klingon death penalty and they had to extradite them, yeah. even though they didn't agree with their no. justice system. It's probably part of their treaty. Yeah. yeah. We had the Klingon death ritual, dying honorably in battle. And we're not sure what constitutes honorable. And we had their afterlife. 
We also had the visor at the beginning hooked to the view screen. Yeah, which I don't think is ever used again, or if it is, it's very rarely oh. used. I was going to say 7 out of 10, but now that we've talked about it, I think I'm just going to go for a 6. Uh, yeah, I don't think there was anything conceptually super interesting. Maybe some cultural stuff I think was cool. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a 6 as well. Sci-fi concepts really isn't anything. It's just kind of interesting look at this culture, and all this is going to have a huge rippling effect throughout Star Trek. I mean, this is really yeah. start explaining what Klingon culture is all about. Yeah, you know, well, maybe so. I'm going back up. Give it a 6.5. Entertainment. Good job making the raw serious. Yeah. Director Rob Bowman said, That episode was, I think, one of the easiest of my shows because everything worked so well. He said he was pretty blown away upon reading the script and that the attitude of the Klingons helped to give the show balls. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of disapprovingly agree with that. Uh. <laughs> the original Star Trek The Next Generation magazine. So many sets or redressed yeah. sets. Freighter being inside that. Day. Yeah, and walking through all the different rooms and corridors mm -hmm. in there. Very impressive. So it was a cerebral exposition heavy speechy episode i thought it was well done but i did notice my mind wandering a bit i wasn't clock watching though so seven out of ten it's pretty solid score wow i was gonna say i liked it way more than you i'm gonna give it seven out of ten oh. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds to you almost like middle of the road but uh yeah i thought it was really interesting i was totally riveted the whole time mm. again it didn't push any emotional or intellectual boundaries for me so it was just good it was just a solid episode so i'd, I'd say seven yeah yeah it's yeah. made me think about what it would be like for war oh yeah to have been raised with humans and mm -hmm. then confronted with these guys sexiness not really anything to say about sexiness this no. week unless you're got a klingon fetish which you which know. i looked up but all i could find <laughs> out was <laughs> Some sexy female Klingons in Discovery or something. And some bowling competition between furries and Klingons that oh. happened a few years ago. Of course. Yeah, uh, 2.5, middle yeah, of the road. Yeah, 2.5. Stupid experts. Putting two unfrisked, unscanned Klingons in together is stupid. Yar was in charge, but not very effective. Mm, yeah. Worf taking the lead and letting him take the lead was clever, I guess. Mm. So two out of five. High rating means Highs more bad. stupid. Okay, yeah. yeah. I would say it wasn't that stupid. That the Klingons were able to get the one up on them and get as far as they did was pretty bad. Well, yeah, they could have destroyed the entire Enterprise D. That uh, would have been really stupid. All right, so your guesses. I said they'd see it as a betrayal that Worf's had to assimilate and become human-like and is supporting the human agenda. Yes. Yeah. I wondered if he'd act more Klingon around them and feel shame. Not really. No. Was it a trap? Yes. I said one of the Klingons could be his brother. Nobody calls him brother. No, oh, yeah. Not really. No. And was it a Zoolander scene where his family are all coal miners and he's a model? Uh, <laughs> I want to thank some new patrons. Oh, yeah. Welcome, Lieutenant Kenneth Haggy and Lieutenant David Ford Likens. Welcome back. Also, welcome, Ensign Martin Dawson. Nice. And I'd like to give a shout out to our amazing captain, Dr. Valone. Thank you, Eric, for all your support. We're looking forward to you eventually being back on the show. Thank you for saving the world out there yeah. and supporting our show. Lots of love. Only six episodes until the end of season one. Oh, what? We're so close. Join us on Patreon for the season one wrap-up show. Wow, can't believe that. Yeah. That's coming up soon, isn't it? And the comment show and our next bonus content, we're thinking of doing a Patrick Stewart bio. We are doing And some doing little it. clips of interviews of him, etc. Yeah. 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 Okay, we're going to play a teaser for the next episode, but we're not going to have Rachel listen to it because she hasn't done her guesses yet. Yeah, no spoilers. But this <laughs> is to wet your palates. <laughs> Next time on an all-new episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Once unleashed, 
the unit is invincible. The crew is hunted by a computerized killing machine. I'll hold things off to my ship. Now the Enterprise is targeted for destruction. Return fire! We missed! Backup system's failing! It's a duel to the death with an invincible enemy on the next exciting episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Be sure it's true when you say, I love you, darling. Because, because you know it's a terrible sin to tell a lie. So many... Oh, so many hearts have been broken. And all because... Because these words were spoken. Trash.